0: One of the important tasks, hopefully, of therapy with asylum seekers is that they can hopefully start to feel connected to humanity again because I think that's one of the things that was, for some people, was really harmed, their kind of trust and belief and basic goodness in other people. And so to feel like a spark of that, kind of coming back, the possibility of that in the therapeutic relationship is a really huge moment, a huge accomplishment.
1: Across Europe today, there are millions of refugees from over a dozen countries. These are individuals and families who have been forced to leave their homes and endure difficult, sometimes life-threatening travel, to arrive in cultures which are entirely foreign and unfortunately not always welcoming. Germany alone has taken in well over a million refugees. And while in many cases, integration efforts have been a success with an ever-growing number of refugees working full-time and attending universities, for many, being in a new place, separated from friends, family, and customs, compounded by the memories of dangerous travel and the circumstances which forced them to leave their homes in the first place, complicates the process of starting a new life The conversation you're about to hear reminds those of us in the mental health field to really and critically ask ourselves how we can help. Specifically, how can tools and techniques such as psychotherapy and diagnosis and the terminology of various mental disorders sometimes actually get in the way of effective communication or the building of a therapeutic relationship? And further, how might the cultural, racial, and experiential differences between a client and a therapist impede the therapeutic process? How, as a practitioner, might one begin to account for these hurdles and move towards a more critical and globally compatible psychotherapy? Thanks for tuning in to the It's Complicated podcast. I'm Reese Cox, and for Jesse Harbaugh, a Berlin-based American psychologist, these questions, amongst others, are of a critical importance and have been at the center of her work and research for many years. Now, before we begin examining these questions, I'd first like to tell you a little bit about It's Complicated it's Complicated as a web directory, making it extra simple to find the right therapist. No matter what kind of therapy you're looking for, It's Complicated offers a safe space to connect with a practitioner. And if you like the content you get here on the podcast, you can find more interesting and insightful information on our blog at blog.complicated.life. Let's go to the interview. Jesse, you've been working with the subject of mental health and asylum seekers and refugees since writing your PhD thesis, is that correct? That's right. So to give our listeners a good idea about who you are and the work you do, can you tell us a little bit about your dissertation?
0: The title of my dissertation was Power, Multicultural Competence, and Trainees' Preparation for Treating Survivors of Torture. And it was a qualitative study that looked at mental health trainees, so that's psychologists, social workers, mental health counselors across the US who were working with refugees and asylum seekers in clinics designated to to treat survivors of torture. We looked at moments in their therapy where they felt they had arrived at an impasse, and then we kind of analyzed those and looked at how maybe their training had not been adequate in preparing them for those moments. And then maybe what particularly was happening in terms of power dynamics in those moments of impasse, and then trying to just understand kind of from different perspectives what uh, what was happening in their in their work with uh, with asylum seekers.
1: And then when it comes to your practice now, for example, what is necessary to take into account, or what extra training is necessary when you're working with somebody who is a refugee or an asylum seeker, as opposed to someone who is not.
0: So what I found in my research and in interviewing trainees who were working at these centers that were treating people who had experienced torture or had refugee status was their difficulty knowing how to kind of understand the gap in their in their lived experiences The fact that they had come from a very Western embedded perspective and that they are interacting with a person who comes from a very different worldview and very different perspective. It was difficult to know how to come across as accessible or to kind of explain what the therapeutic process was or to even really know how to work with a person who had no assumptions about what the therapeutic process was or what a therapist actually even was. It was also very difficult for the trainees to know what to do with using clinical diagnoses. And they explored moments where they did apply kind of more of a medical model or clinical diagnosis to what they were seeing in the client and how that tended to kind of shut down the the person's narrative with a refugee background or a migration background or even a post migration background being able to kind of discuss those things was hindered by sort of a heavy-handed application of clinical rubric that they that they were learning in school but they weren't really sure how applicable it actually was when they were doing the work with asylum seeking immigrants.
1: Right. So if I'm understanding you correctly, one of the key points that jumped out to me was it's not as a practitioner, not just knowing the topical details about a culture that makes you able to interact with someone from that culture that in fact, there's a lot of assumptions there that you're still assuming that everybody knows what psychotherapy is and that it's a good thing. And you're pointing out that maybe that's not actually true,
0: right? And that there are other modes of healing um, that maybe were used in the culture that the person is coming from. So that's one kind of piece that you sort of don't have much opportunity to learn much about uh, significantly in school, like in therapy training programs. But even in addition to that, what I was really interested in in my dissertation was the mostly Western embedded trainee their ability to situate themselves in terms of their access, in terms of their privilege, in terms of just even kind of on a global scale, looking at um, the things that are kind of afforded to them that maybe are not, haven't been afforded to the person who are coming to them now for, for therapy, coming to them from across the world, Um, In a way, this meeting between these two people is an extremely complex phenomenon with a lot of sort of a mass of interacting factors that bring these two people together. We're just kind of talking about like individual therapy at this point. Um, But to what extent does the trainee understand where they kind of fit in this sort of hierarchy of access on a global scale? And and what does that have to do with, with their meeting at this point in time? The two of them kind of sharing this space now together, one person having the role of client, the other person having the role of therapist. Um, so this was kind of an interesting question that I think a lot of people wanted to engage with when I was doing the research with them. Um, and it felt kind of relevant in having, being able to cultivate a sort of worldview, like an expanded worldview uh, through their work with with refugees and asylum seekers.
1: And, and to anyone who has practiced or studied or is even very interested in psychology, it's a really sort of basic fundamental um, principle that regardless of whatever school of psychology you come from, one of the most important things is a the therapeutic relationship. I'm imagining that this is kind of the key problem, that a therapeutic relationship is not even possible if the idea of therapy being useful or even knowing what it is isn't is isn't established, first and foremost.
0: Right. I think that's a nice way to put that. I think um, just the, the ability to look at the therapeutic relationship and what that's sort of comprised of, depending on who you're working with, different aspects of that relationship can be more salient than others. So, you know, if you're working with somebody who comes from a really similar background to yours, or maybe has um, similar privileges to yours, you know, un- we're talking sort of unearned privileges, like whiteness, or like cis masculinity, etc. So if you're, if you're kind of sharing a lot of those privileges with somebody, then to what extent do you, Kind of, you can talk about those things, and they're maybe interesting in some other respect. But I think if you're if you're working with somebody whose background is not um, doesn't come with the same sort of social privileges that yours as a the therapist comes from, or even vice versa, if the if the therapist has um, comes from a group of people who are not, who, who haven't been like a, like a person of color, um, or a queer person working with someone who's white or like cis hetero, um, as, as the client, then that's also kind of like an un sort of, there's a, there's a disparateness between the two, um, the two individuals level of access, uh, just kind of generally speaking access to resources kind of outside of the therapy room and if those aren't really discussed or talked about then it can be difficult to really build a sense of trust and a sense that you can really work with this person that that person is you know from the from the client's perspective that that person is really you know can that person really work with you and not hold judgment over you can they really sort of understand exactly who you are and what has shaped you without pathologizing you. I kind of see it as like a an ability to make space uh, for your client by knowing sort of what you might bring because of your, your social background, uh, the intersecting aspects of our identity that we bring to our work as therapists, knowing what those are and knowing how those can kind of obscure our view of people who we've been taught to not value as much as people who who look like us or people who come from the same place as we come from. So it's really just kind of talking about like these um, unconscious biases about people whose backgrounds are, are mildly different or quite different from ours, linguistically different, racially different, Um, economically different etc from from ours and in the case with working with refugees and asylum seekers people who come from parts of the world that we and for most of us have not been raised to really value or to uh really know to really see like accurate representations of um so we're working with someone from a place that we have very uh, kind of scant information about that we might have picked up unconsciously, um, that from just kind of popular culture, from National Geographic, from kind of all these problematic, to put it one way, sources um, that might inform us of the person that we're that we're sitting across from, and that we're not even really aware of. So the importance of kind of understanding the way the assumptions we have about about somebody coming from a different part of the world and owning those, being able to own those assumptions and acknowledge that they could be completely skewed and flawed and that, um, in fact, we have, that they could possibly even be impediments to our Ability to really humanize and see See the person see the human being who is in our therapy room
1: That on the most sort of basic level knowledge is necessary yeah. for empathy to build empathy
0: Knowledge is is useful and also an awareness of what you don't know mm-hmm. uh, um, Sort of an, an ability to a humility and an understanding of where kind of the the boundaries of your knowledge about uh, people and other parts of the world, sort of where that where that knowledge ends.
1: And you've written previously in a blog post for it's complicated, and I'm sure in other places mm-hmm. that terms that we would bring typically in kind of a diagnostic context, like PTSD or even trauma, which is a bit more general, can be problematic. In, say, a therapy session or to diagnose or prescribe a category of experience for somebody who is a refugee or asylum seeker, why are terms like trauma or PTSD to be avoided in, in many
0: cases? I think that for some people who are familiar with the term trauma and who come from backgrounds, maybe a similar background, like a Western background similar to mine, it might feel really validating. To have your experience described as trauma, but for other people who've who've not heard this term before, who are coming into an already Western model of um, of medicine and and even psychotherapy um, and just any kind of healing, a Western model of healing, I think that. The application of this word can possibly eclipse the individual's ability to authentically describe and kind of spontaneously find words for their own experience. I think that possibly applying the word trauma can make it Difficult to really understand even what the political aspects were of somebody's experiences, um, the cause of somebody's flight. I think that to some extent trauma trauma can obscure an important political reality that the that the individual was was dealing with, and that is ultimately important in their ability to first conceptualize what happened and then to even heal from it there's this really interesting research by um the psychologist basoglu who found that people who had so like he compared activists political activists who had been tortured in turkey with people who are not political activists but who were also tortured and found that those even in some cases where political activists who were tortured were tortured more you know objectively speaking more severely than those who are not political activists the political activists had because of their political analysis had shorter lived and less severe symptoms you know symptoms that we would that we would kind of typically ascribe to PTSD. So some of those clusters of of, of symptoms, um, but that they weren't as severe. And so I I have to think that there's something about being able to really be in charge of the narrative of what happened to you, without kind of needing a, a medical narrative involved, but having a political narrative as being the overarching one it's actually shown in research to be to aid in in one's resilience to aid in one's kind of healing from torture i don't think that labeling something as trauma is necessarily for some people you know uh, outside of our western context isn't as important isn't as integral to their kind of healing process as as it as it is for others.
1: I had never considered that before, especially in this context, how a word or a diagnostic word in particular can change somebody's relationship to experience, especially when it comes to something like events you experience because of your political action. If you are tortured because of your political action, it's a very active narrative. Whereas if you're traumatized from torture, and that's the focal point, that the other details fall out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a much more. That's a much more kind of like, past this thing happened to you mm-hmm. rather you suffered through in order to achieve something. Right. That's a very very different narrative, right. and I never considered the power of that in such a sort of direct way.
0: Right, but the context ultimately having an understanding of the context and what's motivating other people to do what they did to you. That there's some kind of something sort of organizing that sort of is larger than you even Mm -hmm. that is bringing somebody to that situation bringing someone to be tortured that there's something it's like a means to a political end yeah i think i was really i was really struck by that research too and that the healing power of 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 having a, a political analysis is really really compelling to me and i think a really interesting way that kind of not just being, not seeing this issue of having to flee one's country or being tortured for political or ethnic or number of reasons. Understanding how those those aren't just sort of the domain of psychology, but much, much, much broader than psychology, sort of diagnostic information. I think that we're really aided in our work with with refugees, we're aided by a a critical political analysis not just of the person we're working with but also ourselves and the way that ultimately we impact one another even though we come from very different parts of the world. I think that's kind of goes back to your bringing up of the therapeutic relationship that having that understanding of a political relationship is in this case part of knowing what the therapeutic relationship like what's kind of impacting that
1: and another essential facet about therapy is building a personal narrative through the therapy process and i can understand how if a therapist doesn't know how to facilitate that on the terms of the person who they're working with then that person's narrative is co-opted into a western context which runs the risk of being an alienating clinical experience rather than a healing one
0: yeah Right and so then as the therapist then you're going into unknown territory you're stepping outside of what your training has been you're stepping outside of like understanding things diagnostically clinically and things are not organized in predictable ways anymore and then that can be sort of anxiety provoking for somebody who especially if you're working with someone who's feeling like very flooded and overwhelmed with feeling and anxiety and and nightmares and all these kinds of things how can you it it can be kind of for the therapist really take them to this raw unpredictable place but i think that i think that in like, the therapist that I was interviewing, I think that ultimately that ability to step into, step out of the, the medical model, step out of the clinical psychology model and into something that's that's unknown, but ultimately kind of led by the client, it helped the person. It helped the, the survivor to feel more connected on a human level with a therapist and to feel like they could kind of continue talking. It encouraged them to keep speaking and start to make sense of their experiences in the context of a, of a person listening and caring about what they had to say. And that that real authorship that that they were able to, to take about their own lives was um, it led to just sort of a deepening connection a deepened connection with, with the therapist which is also one of the important tasks hopefully of, of therapy uh, with, uh, with asylum seekers is that they can hopefully start to feel connected to humanity again because i think that's one of the things that was for some people was really harmed their kind of trust and belief and basic goodness in other people and so to feel like a spark of that kind of coming back the possibility of that in the therapeutic relationship is uh, i think a really huge moment for somebody a huge accomplishment
1: Listening to a conversation with Jesse Harbaugh, a Berlin-based clinical psychologist specializing in work with refugees and asylum seekers. I find Jesse's work on the subject fascinating. And even after preparing for the interview, I still found myself realizing deeper layers into what she was saying. In particular, the way she points out just how powerful medical language can be in shaping a person's relationship to their own experiences. This is a very important lesson to any professional working with refugees and asylum seekers, and in a more general sense, to any professional working with, well, anyone. After the interview, Jessie told me about a number of ways she's gotten involved in refugee aid and relief, through volunteering. If you'd like to help out, we have all the information needed for you to get started over at the blog, whether that's helping out at a shelter, accompanying a person with special needs, or simply meeting new communities at a language cafe, head over to blog.complicated.life where you will find links to each of these organizations. If you know deep down in your heart of hearts that you just won't get around to giving your time, that's no problem because you can just as easily donate your money. There are so many opportunities to donate. I couldn't possibly list all of them in the short time we have here, but you can certainly check out the blog for a whole heap of links. Here's just a couple of the big ones that you can trust to make sure your generous donation goes to a good place. There is HelpRefugees.org, Pro ProAsyl, that's A-S-Y-L, Refugees Welcome International. And then within Berlin, there is Give Something Back to Berlin, Berliner Stadmission, Bundesneukon. and there are many more on the blog. Now, I just listed a few, but there are plenty of other things you can do. It is, after all, the season for giving. And it doesn't matter whether you celebrate Christmas, Ramadan, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Solstice. The point is, It's the time of year to give. Whether that's donating your time or money, those resources can be put to good use this year. Not only will you feel good about doing something proactive and positive in the world, but I guarantee you the person who receives your generous donation will definitely feel good. So go out there and do it. It's complicated as a web directory, making it extra simple to find the right therapist. No matter what kind of therapy you're looking for, it's complicated to offer Zave safe space to connect you with a practitioner. Pay us a visit online at complicated.life. And again, I encourage all of you to go to blog.complicated.life and see what you can do to donate this holiday season. I'm Reese Cox. Thank you for listening to It's Complicated. I'll see you next time.